going to be looking tonight again at Isaiah chapter 60. We looked at it last week, and I think I said this last week, but it's so important. Somebody asked me before the service tonight, uh, am I against, do I preach against, of course I do, the Babylonian world order, and we're faced with that right now, aren't we? We're, we're looking at that right now uh, in the nations, and particularly here in Scotland, and for reasons that I won't get into right now, many of you know these things, Scotland is the very crucible of this battle with the beast system or Babylon, and we talk about that a lot in our meetings, um, and it's a big thing. But you need to read Isaiah chapter 60, where we're going just now, uh, in the backdrop of Revelation 17, 18, 19, 20, and, and so on. From about Revelation 17 onwards, particularly the fall of Babylon in Revelation 18. Because the fall of Babylon, which is the kings and the merchants of the earth wailing over their loss of power and over their loss of resources and assets and wealth, is not an obliteration of wealth. It is a transfer of wealth. Okay, so from the perspective of Babylon, we read Revelation 18 and we see all of them all wailing and screaming because all their great wealth has come to naught or nothing in one hour and one day. That's how specific the Bible says. Um, and so it's a swift judgment. And I believe we're in that time right now um, that we're going to see that. But we have to look at it from the other side, from our side, from the, the people of God's side, and that's Isaiah chapter 60. So I'm going to be looking at that tonight, that wealth transfer wealth transfer, and kingdom wealth. And this, uh, Pete is one of my Bible college students, and he's, you, you, you'll hear this again, okay? Because we're going to be looking at this uh, in the, the first module that I do. So some of my notes, I'm not going to necessarily preach a lesson that I would to my Bible college students, but I'm going to be pulling from the notes here. So Isaiah chapter 6, let's just read the first five verses. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of Yahweh is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. And we looked at that last week, and we said, this is where we are right now. We're in a time of darkness covering the nations, and gross darkness, the King James says, uh, over the people. But Yahweh will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles or the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And I'll just say this, that when we walk in the fullness of what God wants us to walk in, well, let me say this to you, kings will be knocking on our doors because they'll recognize that we have the answers. Now, you might say, well, right now they're not knocking on our doors, and that's because we're not walking or functioning where we should be. But I want to say this to you, it's coming, and it's going to come a lot sooner than maybe we expect. Lift up your eyes all around and see, they all gather together, they come to you. So he's saying here, behold, verse 2, the darkness, but then verse 4, he shifts our focus, he shifts our vision to say, lift up your eyes all around and see, have a different vision, don't just keep staring at the darkness, because what you focus upon, you will, you will become. So lift up your eyes all around and see, they all gather together, they come to you, your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be nursed at your side. One of my very first encounters uh, with the Lord as a teenager, although I had an encounter uh, when I was younger, obviously, uh, 
God's hand has been on my life all my days that I remember. But I had a very powerful set of encounters with the Lord as a teenager, before I was even properly saved, okay? Very vivid, and I still can see them in my mind as I speak this today. And it was this, it was harvest, multitudes. The, the multitudes coming in. And we cannot have small visions. We can't have a small vision. Oh, it would be great if, you know, there was another 10 people came to church. Well, it would be great, you know, if we could double our numbers. No, we must have the vision of nations and multitudes. As Cesar Castellano says, you have to see yourself as a leader of multitudes. Amen? Because Abraham is the father of the nations, and you are the seed of Abraham, if you're a believer. So he says, lift up your eyes, all around the sea, they gather together, they come to you, your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. That's speaking about spiritual children. Amen? Multitudes of children. And that doesn't mean that you're all going to be Billy Graham and you're going to be preaching to multitudes, but you're all going to be part of an end-time remnant army that will see the harvest of God. Amen? Whatever your part to play in that is, you'll be part of it. Isn't that great? So then it says, verse 5, this is where I want to go, I'm going to stop there. Then you shall see and become radiant, your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the nation shall come to you. And that's what we're going to be speaking about tonight, which is wealth transfer. I believe you need to read this in conjunction with Revelation 18 and understand that when these guys are all screaming and wailing because they've lost power, influence, wealth, all of the things that make them Babylon, that make them, if you like, what they're enjoying right now, which is not dominion, but domination over the nations, domination over the peoples of the earth, ruling us by fear, ruling us by uh, diktat, and they're enjoying it, and they're loving it right now, and they're rubbing it into us every chance they get. And we all know that, we've all seen that. But brothers and sisters, it's all going to change. And I believe we're in that time for multiple reasons that we're going to see it real soon. But, you know, it doesn't matter if it's soon or not. It's going to happen because it's in God's Word. And, you know, there's a sense in which the prophetic uh, Word of God, I think, is, is cyclical in a sense. And that it's happened at different times in history. Amen. It's happened in Bible times. It's even happened in what we would say post-biblical history that we've seen, you know, the Reformation, revivals, great things, moves of God where the power of the enemy has been broken. But I believe we're going to see that great end time fall of Babylon. So, this is wealth transfer. What it's really saying here is, when it says Babylon, the, the whore of Babylon, the harlot, the great harlot, she sits on the beast and, she, and it sits on many waters, which is, the peoples, the nations, the world economy, the world system, the seven mountains. And again, that's something we'll cover this year in Bible college. Penetrating, invading the seven mountains and taking them for Jesus. But it says that that seed of the world's economy, of people and nations, it says that will be converted to you. That will be turned to you. You know how the tide uh, goes out and then it turns and comes back in. He's saying here that there'll be a, a shift, an epical, epic, massive shift 
in the world economy. And remember what it says in Haggai. The, the, the Lord says, this last day's temple is going to be something to behold. Far greater than Solomon's temple. Far greater than Herod's temple. And you know something? It ain't a building. We love this building, don't we, our church? And you were speaking about it before we started. But it ain't a building made with hands. It ain't bricks and mortar. The, the last day's temple. The last day's temple is glorious because the last day's temple is you and me. Our bodies. Our physical presence here on earth. We are the temple of God. And he says that the treasure will come into it. He says, the silver and the gold are mine, saith Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. And it's going to come to the temple. You know where the silver and gold belong? In the temple. You're the temple. Amen? So it's a wealth transfer event. And then he says, the wealth of the nations shall come to you. No boy will Bill Gates cry in that day. Oh boy, will Bezos cry because all the money's been going to him. With all your Amazon orders, by the way. All those books you order and all those kitchen utensils and all that stuff you order. Eh, amen. Bow your head in shame. But, you know, I put my hand up. I, I order stuff from Amazon. But you know the glory of it? You know the glory of, of it is we're making the guy rich so that when wealth transfer comes, there's plenty to come back. Amen? That's how you look at it. So if you are in Christ, you are a magnet for wealth and riches, for the wealth and the, the wealth of the nations. Now we're not talking here about, oh well, you know, I'm preaching that a prosperity message. You know, what is it you called it the other day, can uh, name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. There's a truth to that. And you know, God wants you to have a good life. He wants you to live in a nice house, drive nice cars, wear nice clothes, eat good food. He wants you blessed. But the kind of wealth we're talking about here is billionaire level. And you know, you don't need to live that lifestyle. It's not about you living that lifestyle. The purpose of the wealth transfer is for kingdom purposes, amen, for his kingdom wealth, so that when you receive way above and beyond, you don't say, well, let's just go buy all these mansions. You can live in a nice house, you can buy maybe one or two. The point being that you will invest in God's kingdom and in the gospel, amen. Wouldn't it be great if we had enough money between us right now in this building they say, let's go buy Sky Television. And instead of all the junk they put out in it, we're just going to fund the gospel. It'll only be gospel programs. So if you have a subscription to Sky, then all you're going to see is the Word of God. Yeah. Amen? And you say, well, I'll, I'll cancel my subscription. We don't care, we're rich enough. We don't need your subscription. But when you're bored and nothing else, because we've bought all the, we've bought all the television stations, all the, we've bought all the media empires, it's only going to be the gospel. And maybe John Wayne Western, you know, good stuff. <laughs> it's only going to be the gospel. Do you understand? So if you're in Christ, you're a magnet. It's vital that you let this truth permeate your spirit and soul and body. This is the great revelation, brothers and sisters that will topple the Babylonian world system and usher in the end time Elijah revival on planet Earth. 
Because they only have power because they have money. Amen? And it's interesting, you know, when you, when you start to look at, I'm, I'm not talking here about the odd millionaire or even a multi-millionaire, we're, we're really talking here about the merchants of the earth. And if you go and study it out, you'll see when it speaks about, it's talking about the really super rich. Okay, and, and they're mentioned in Revelation 18 that their deception, their deception, they deceive the nations with pharmacia, which is translated sorcery, but is the root word for, our, for pharmaceutical, pharmacy, and so on, by their drugs. Amen? And we know what that means in this present day and age. Now, the point being this, when these people lose their wealth, they lose their power. So it's not about, oh well, you know, I, I don't like, that, that message could lead to covetousness. And the love of money is the root of all evil. It's nothing to do with that. It's a simple uh, solution if you have the love, and you can have the love of money, money and be poor as a church mouse. We don't have mice in this church, but amen. The love of money is not something that just rich folks have. Whenever you see evil, the love of money is the root of it. Amen. The point is this, brothers and sisters, that when they lose their wealth, and they will because of Revelation 18 tells us they will, they lose their power. But you know, God reverses it for us. He says that he gives us power to get wealth. He gives us the power first. The system of God, the economy of God, is a full 180 degrees around from the economy of man or the economy of the devil or Babylon. So we already have the power to get wealth. But you know why we don't use it? Because we listen to religious folk that say, oh, you, you can't preach about money. You, you, you can't covet things. Well, we're not coveting things. Well, we are. We're coveting the kingdom of God coming to the earth and invading. And his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. That's what I'm coveting tonight. And let me tell you, when you start doing that seriously, then you understand that he, it's stewardship we're talking about. We'll cover all that in this, because this module, a couple of modules that I'm doing uh, coming up as the Bible College starts, is on these matters. But wealth transfer, well, let's stick with this. To fully understand the prophesied fall of mystery Babylon, Isaiah 60, and the coming age of Philadelphia, it's all tied up, folks. It is important to see these things as being all about the temple of God. Okay, when you get a revelation that we are God's end-type temple, and our very body, you know, a lot, of, a lot of Christianity, a lot of teaching teaches you to hate your body. You know why? The devil doesn't want you to see, the devil doesn't want you to see that your body is the temple of God. Because when you begin to see your body as a temple of God and the house of God and that you're the dwelling place of God, things will start to jack up, won't they? Because God doesn't live in a hovel. And God doesn't live in a dirty thing. So as long as the devil gets you to hate your body and see it as a dirty, filthy, horrible thing, the flesh, oh, 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 then you'll not function as God's end time temple. And you'll not walk in Isaiah chapter 60. 
Amen? So there's a last day's restoration of the temple of God. And when you receive this revelation and the massive significance it has, you will be magnetized to attract the wealth of the world system. And as I said, not for selfish consumption purposes, although God don't mind you having good stuff and being blessed. The blessed is the man. Wealth and riches shall be in his house. Amen? And all these wonderful promises, but it's not just to satisfy selfish lusts. It is to be a distributor of blessings. What did God say to Abraham? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And bless back in the old covenant didn't mean a pat on the head and well done, son, or a wee cab from Helen Steiner Rice, you know. It was a hallmark card with a wee nice message on it, thinking of you, you know, and wee puppies on it. Blessing meant empower to prosper and get rich. And he said to Abraham, I'm going to do this for you because I want you to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. Okay? There are still many poor people in this world. Amen? And we have got to... And what the first thing that happened in the early church... When they gathered all the folks that had money and wealth and possessions and lands, they sold their possessions, they sold their lands because they looked around and said, you know, there's some folks in this church that don't have anything. And I'm not going to sit here while my brother's poor. So they sold their lands and they laid it at the feet of the apostles. Amen. They brought it to the preacher, in other words, and said, you make sure that the, the poor folks get theirs. And it says, eventually, as it's, when it all settled, none of them lacked. None of them lacked. So we need to be that way-minded that when we are vigorous and rigorous about prospering, we do it for that purpose, that we do it to destroy and eradicate poverty, systemic poverty. Amen. So the last day's restoration, as we've already noted, this message is based on the last day's temple of God. And you see it from this perspective, it all falls into place. Okay? And it says here, Rise, shine, your lights come, we saw that. The glory of Yahweh is risen upon you. Darkness shall cover the earth, deep darkness of people, but the Lord shall arise on you, and his glory shall be seen upon you. Now that's a temple metaphor. Because ancient Israelites would have understood that the place where God's glory dwelt was the temple of Solomon. Amen. If you wanted to come in touch with the glory of God back in the old covenant, you'd have had to get yourself to Jerusalem from wherever you were on the earth. And then you've got a real problem because you have the outer court. Then you've got the holy place. You couldn't get in there. Amen. And the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, and only one man was allowed in there, and that but once a year, to offer sacrifices. So if you wanted to contact the Shekinah glory of God, the nearest you could get to it was the temple. You'd probably be kept outside. You'd say, well, it's in there. I'm here. But you'd never touch the glory. You'd never see the glory. You would just be near the glory. But brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian this night, that Shekinah glory of God is in you. Because the glory belongs in the temple. The temple was created to house the glory. In fact, the, the temple was created to house the name. If you go and read, you'll see with David and Solomon, 
that they understood they were building a temple for the name. And, and why was that? Because where the name was, there the presence would follow. You know, if you, let's say, Hannah is through there in the, the Sunday school room, uh, her presence is through there, but I call her name, her presence her, will come. Amen? And that's why when they built the temple and they praised the name of Yahweh in the house built to house his name, the glory came, the presence of Yahweh came and filled the temple and the priest couldn't even stand to minister. And we are the modern day, the, the last day's temple. So it's a temple metaphor. When Solomon finished building and dedicating the temple, the glory of God filled the building. Amen, we know that from 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Verses 1 to 3, you can look it up yourself. I don't really have the time to read it out. So the glory fell and was visible to all present. When all the children of Israel saw the fire came down, the glory of Yahweh filled the house. They bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord. When they saw the temple filled with glory, they bowed down and worshipped. What happens when your temple is filled with glory? The same thing. Don't believe me? Isaiah chapter 60, we're in it already. It says here, uh, I will make the place of my feet glorious to beautify the place of my sanctuary. This is verse 13. I will make the place of my feet glorious. Now, Notice he's talking about the science, he's talking about the temple, then he's talking about feet. Because your feet are his feet, because he lives in you. Amen? So the place of his feet in the new covenant is your body. The sons of those, verse 14, who afflicted you shall come bowing to you, and all those who despise you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. In other words, they will recognize that God dwells in you and his glory is in you because his glory shall be seen upon you. When the glory was seen upon Solomon's temple or in Solomon's temple, the people hit the deck. Am I right? The glory fell and was visible to all present. So this is the same kind of language used in Isaiah 60 as it is in Chronicles, where it says the glory will rise upon us and be seen. When the glory is seen in the temple, on the temple, which is you, the people hit the deck. And it tells you that also in Revelation chapter 3. Speaking about the church of Philadelphia, which we are the remnant of God, who have the key of David. And it says... The synagogue of Satan, those who say they are Jews and are not, will come bowing at your feet and say, no, the Lord loves you. It's the same thing. His glory will be visible. So in 2 Chronicles, the fire fell in Isaiah 60, the glory rises. See the difference? In 2 Chronicles, we should have read it, but anyway, it says that the glory fell, filled the house where they were, ministering. But in Isaiah 6, it says the glory rises. Why? Because the glory is in you. Amen? We, you know, we just sang Let the Fire Fall. And it's a great hymn. And you know, we, you know, we need 
in a sense, the fire to fall in, in a visible way and upon us in a corporate way. But, you know, if you're a Christian tonight, if you're filled with the Spirit, the fire's in you. It just needs to rise so that it's seen. We need to be who God has purposed us to be in the earth and walk in it and function in it and from it. We are the temple of God. As Christians, we've been born from above. The fire fell, as it were, and that the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in us. Man is the dwelling place of God. And Isaiah 6 is describing how the glory that is in us will be manifest to a world in deep darkness. The world is in darkness tonight and looking for light. And they're looking to New Age. They're looking to the occult. They're looking to media. They're looking to science. They're looking to all. But they're not looking in the right place. And that right place is here tonight in this building. And it's not the building. Much as the building that we have here, I'm sure you were told about some of the things that happen when people come in here. They do hit the deck. But it's not a building. It's you and I. Remember when Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 in the upper room, it says that there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. That was a case of the inner glory being manifest in the physical realm. Amen? The fire didn't just sit on them, it came and lived in them. The fire of the Holy Ghost. Now back in the days of the Old Covenant, it says you had to go to the holy holies to contact the Shekinah glory but the Shekinah glory is now in us as the temple of God in the earth Isaiah 60 describes how that in a world of great darkness that glory will rise upon us and be seen it will emanate from our body temple and be visible I believe we're going to see a lot of that I really do it's not just oh people will find us attractive as in oh you've got something that I need there will be manifestation of glory in ways that we, we, we probably don't even imagine right now. Because the supernatural power of God and glory of God and fire of God and presence of God is going to be far more tangible and manifest. Not just here in the meeting. We're speaking a lot about what used to happen back in the 80s, 90s when some of us were uh, young Christians and those the glory days. Brothers and sisters, we don't just need it to happen in church buildings or in these meetings. You need it in the Isle of Asda. Amen. You need it walking down the street. You need it wherever you go, especially out there. You know, just as the Holy Ghost in us wants to get, to get out and touch a dark world, we need to get out of our wee four walls of church and our restructures that we've made to hide from the world and go into the world and show the world the glory and power of God. Amen? When the glory rises upon us, it attracts the nations and it attracts the rulers. Kings will come to the brightness of your rising. And, and I need to say this to you. Kings don't come to poor folks. Poor folks don't have anything that attracts kings. Okay? And when it says kings here, we understand it's not just uh, literal monarchies, your monarchs and the royal families and stuff. He's talking about rulers and leaders. And we know we all those, that bunch out there, that the only thing they're interested in is the gold. You understand? 
So they come to the brightness of arising because whatever God is doing through us is bringing transfer of wealth and they follow the money. This demonstrates a wondrous truth that the glory is attractive. But the glory doesn't just attract people according to what we've been reading here. It attracts wealth and riches. The gold follows the glory, brothers and sisters. And the glory follows the gold. How do we know that? Well, when Solomon finished the temple, the glory came. And if you know anything about the construction of the temple, you know that the whole place was covered in gold. Gold is physical glory. And that's not saying that, well, if you've got plenty of gold, that means that you're spiritual. We need to guard against that because that's not what I'm saying and that's not what the Bible says. In fact, if you believe that, you're in error. What it's saying is that when you glorify God, he glorifies you. Amen? And he glorifies you by bringing you into his purpose. And his purpose at this time is to destroy Babylon and plant the heavens and the earth, plant the kingdom of God, and, and be a blessing, and the Abrahamic blessing be upon all his people. And you can't be blessed with faithful Abraham unless you've got the power to get wealth, because that's what God gave him. And do you know what it says? In fact, let's just go there. I'm deviating from my notes. I don't mind. We can always come back to this another time. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I need to show you this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, we know this verse, it says, verse 18, You shall remember Yahweh your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Amen? Why? Why does God give us power to get wealth? Why does God... Why does the glory of God rise upon us that, that suddenly makes us a magnet that attracts the wealth and riches of the world? Why, why does he do that? Of the nations. Why does he do it? Just so that we can all be selfish consumers and wear designer gear, live in the best houses, and be like the rich men of the earth. No, he doesn't. He does it for a purpose, and it tells us it right here, that he may establish his covenant. He gives us power to get wealth to establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Oh, that's Old Testament. That's under the law. No, it's not. This blessing of Abraham predated the law. Amen? The law only added regulations to it for a season uh, so that they could walk and, and function in it until the complete ratification of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And how did that happen? Turn with me and I'll show you Galatians chapter 3. So the purpose of God in giving the power to get wealth is a covenant purpose. It's nothing to do with you and I being big shots or those of you who are old enough to remember it's not that God wants to make us GRUing. Amen? Or big shot tycoons. And some of you are kidding on, you don't know who GRUing is. Amen? 
It's not so that God can cause us all to be, you know, boss it over people. As we know, many rich folks do. We just mentioned some earlier on. They get that wealthy, they get to a place, well, you know what, I've got all this money. I, I want the world to be made in a totally different image to what it is. It's not so that we can be like them, it's so that we can destroy that type of system which is the beast or Babylonian system and bring in a kingdom system where there is no poor. Amen? Not so there's no poor, there's no poverty. Because when you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is there any poverty in heaven? So you're either just playing games and you pray that, or you believe, Lord, I'm praying for the destruction of all that is opposed to your kingdom here on earth, because let what's happening up there be happening down here. So Galatians chapter 3 says this, watch this. It says, verse 8, the scripture foreseen that God would justify the nations by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So through the Abrahamic covenant, through the blessing of Abraham, God wanted all the nations blessed. God wants all the nations blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Then he says in verse uh, 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. Why did he do that? So we could have forgiveness of sins. So we could have eternal life. And all of these things, yes, but that's not what he says here. There's another reason given here. Look what it says. Look what it is. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the nations in Christ Jesus. And it actually speaks about how the, uh, he says here, verse 17, this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, later than what? The promise, the blessing to Abraham, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. When he says back then that he gives the power to get wealth to establish his covenant, to confirm his covenant, to ratify his covenant, Galatians chapter 3 tells us that that was in Christ. You see that? That it was Christ who was the effective and active agent in that. And he says that the power to get wealth was the ratification of it. Was the establishing of it. Over in Deuteronomy, doesn't he? You're given power to get wealth, to establish, to ratify this promise, this blessing. And here in Galatians 3, he tells us that that was Christ. So the power to get wealth is Christ. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor on the cross that you might be rich. But this is not, you know, a get rich quick scheme that I'm, I'm teaching here. This is a get rich immediately scheme when you come to Christ. But it's not something that we, we become covetous and get all love of money stuff functioning. Oh, that's, that's a license now to love money and covet things. That's not what we're saying. 
We're saying that if you're faithful and that you understand you're blessed with faithful Abraham, God will channel and funnel wealth and riches to you for the purpose that he purposes, which what I call kingdom wealth, which means that it's to be a blessing to nations and a blessing to families and a blessing to people and an eradication of poverty. Because we're not just talking about just individuals prospering here. We're talking about this end-time move of God where all of a sudden these merchants, these rich guys, Gates, Bezos, and all these Zuckerberg, all these, they're screaming. Why? Because suddenly God in one hour and one day says, you've had enough time with your hand on the tiller. And now it's going to switch over to people who will do something far better with it and use it to be a blessing rather than use it to be an oppression. So that's it. The great, there's so much more I could have uh, covered tonight. We'll maybe come back to it another time. But it's about wealth transfer, folks. And the people who chase after money, they chase it really to get power. If you go and read some of the stuff that's come out in recent times, some of the analysis of it, and I've read it and, and I agree with it, they're saying that ultimately these guys get so rich, it's no longer about the money. It's no longer about accumulating wealth because they control the, the, the financial system anyway. And they can create money. It's called fiat money. They can just say, you know, we'll just create this in a computer. Used to be they would just print, remember they used to print money and it would say, and it would say on it, I promise to pay the, the bearer one pound sterling. Oh, go, go, and, go and try and get one pound sterling. Or ten pounds sterling from your bank. Yeah, I've, I've got a promissory note here. I've got a promise from your bank that you'll give me. Aye, right. Because it's no longer linked to gold and silver. But the true wealth of the earth is gold and silver, isn't it? Precious jewels, assets, property. That's what they're going to lose. And they'll be left with their worthless fiat money, which is just a creation of their own mind. And that's the difference between the economy of God the real wealth will come into the hands of those who will use it for God's purposes. And it isn't just about funding TV stations and stuff like that. That's all part of it. I believe that. But it's about saying, you know, these people oppress the poor. And you can read that all throughout the Bible. But we will do what God wants, which is lift the people out of poverty. And it's not just financial poverty, folks. You know, you can find a rich man who's absolutely loaded with money, mansions galore, cars galore, airplanes, you name it. He can be the poorest guy you'll ever meet because he's, he's, his poverty is a heart poverty. He doesn't know the Lord. Amen? So poverty isn't just about money. And wealth isn't just about money. But the wealth of the world, uh, I believe that God wants his people to have it. The Bible says it over and over again that the blessed man the man who lives right before God, then God gives him wealth and riches, but as a steward. Amen. Not just as, so, as I said, he can be GRUN, but so he can steward those resources and funnel them and channel them and distribute them. In fact, let's just close with this. as a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I love this scripture. And we'll close with this. This is, this is the template. This is the blueprint that God wants his people 
to be. And you know what I think when he gets enough people who think like this and begin to decree these things and understand the purpose of wealth transfer is, as I said, not to make you GRU, but to make you, in a sense, see, we're ruled over by the banks and the bankers, aren't we? Well, God wants you and I to be bankers of kingdom wealth and to use that for his purpose. Look, and it says it here, this is the template. God, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. It says, God is able to make all grace or favor abound toward you. Now, yes, I believe this is for individuals. But I also believe we need to accept this corporately too. Amen? As the body of Christ. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you always, not some of the time, not now and again, not all a wee blessing last week. Always having all sufficiency in all things. In other words, every need of yours may always. In other words, you're living well. You never have a need. You never have a lack. You never have a shortage. You never have a skint time. I was skint last week. Or I'm going broke if I don't watch what I'm... None of that. You're living way above that level. Always having all sufficiency in all things. In other words, it covers every realm of life and it covers every realm of finances. Amen? And I would say, you know, that's maybe you've paid off your mortgage or you don't have a mortgage. And, you know, you might even, you pay, not just pay your bills, but your bills are all, you're well in advance. Always having all sufficient in all things. That, and then he says, <clears throat> that once that's the case, always having all sufficient in all things, you may have an abundance or you may abound to every good work. Every good work. Every single good work. Think about that. That means when, you know, you see somebody and you say, oh, uh, we're, we're fundraising for this, or you're always able. Every good work. Think about that. Abound. Not just, oh, there's my 50 pence, or, but you abound. That's where God wants to take us. Amen? And I believe there's a generation that God is raising up in the earth of his people. And as I said, it's, it's not... As it, you're looked after, yes, it says that, but it's for every good work. It's, it's to, and then you read on, it's for liberality. You're enriched in everything for all liberality. In other words, whatever good work there is, wherever the, the poor have a, a need, you splurge out on that because God has blessed you. That's what Isaiah 60, I believe. And it, it's, this is strategic. This is spiritual warfare, folks. This isn't just, oh, well, God wants to bless us. He does. But this is how we bring Babylon down. Because Babylon is the oppression of the poor. But God's kingdom is the release of the poor. Amen? So let's believe God. For, let's just close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths. That, Lord, you want to transfer the wealth of a nation, Lord, but not just to us when we're unprepared. When, Lord, we can be lured by you. Maybe the love of money. Lord, prepare our hearts that we would be stewards of wealth and finances and resources that, Father, we can meet the needs of the people, that we can bless the, the poor, raise them out of poverty, 
be a blessing to every family and nation earth. And we just remind ourselves, Father, these truths are what will transform the nations, what will raise up the mountain of the Lord's house in the last days that the kings of the earth and the people of the earth will come to the mountain of God and say, show us your ways, because we've seen the glory upon you. Praise your holy name, Father, in Jesus' name. That's so important, folks, to remember the mountain of the Lord's house in the last days will be lifted above all other mountains. Amen. And the glory will be seen upon it. Praise God. Uh, well, let's sing in our...